Well, we're going to read from the scriptures together now, and we're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you're following along in one of our pew Bibles, you'll find the reading on pages 992 over into 993. We're going to read the whole of 1 Timothy chapter 5 this morning and the first couple of verses of chapter 6 as well. So 1 Timothy chapter 5. The reading begins on page 992 of the Pew Bibles. And we're reading down to chapter 6, verse 2. It's 1 Timothy 5, beginning at verse 1. And this is God's word to us. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives, Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double, double honour, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labourer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudicing, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not, that are not cannot remain hidden. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honour, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service 
are believers and beloved. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, you'll find the passage we read earlier on pages 992-993 of our Pew Bibles. Uh, we're going to think about this next part of 1 Timothy together for a few moments this morning. Uh, as you know, this week it was General Assembly Week for PCI. Our new moderator, the Reverend John Kirkpatrick, was installed as moderator on Wednesday evening and business ran from Thursday through to Saturday yesterday. Uh, what happens at General Assembly is that our church receives reports from different councils. There are different councils for different things within our denomination. There's a, a council for Congregational Life and Witness. There's a, a council for Global Mission and, and lots of other councils as well. Now, normally what I do after General Assembly is a little report on the week's business. It was a fairly quiet week without any contra controversy of note. And in a way, that is my report for this year over. But one of the more interesting reports to this year's assembly was from the Council for Training in Ministry. And it's the council that is in charge of Union College and other aspects of Christian training. In the report from the Council for Training in Ministry, we heard that we need to pray for more gospel workers. We heard that in light of the retirements forecast in the years ahead, much prayer is needed if the church is to be equipped with, with leaders for the coming generations. There are only three ministry students eligible for a call in September, and there are only four men starting studies for the ministry in September as well. We need to pray for more gospel workers. We need to pray that the Lord would raise up a new generation of gospel ministers. The vacancies within our denomination are unfortunately going to increase in the coming years. Uh, I was quite shocked to come to the back of this month's Presbyterian, Presbyterian Herald and find that vacancies within PCI now take up a double page spread. We really need to pray for more gospel workers. But as vacancies increase, congregations might be pushed to think about what they do, what they believe to be important, and what they're about when it comes to ministry. They'll perhaps be pushed to, to think about what it means to be a flourishing church. It would be very easy for us to come up with a list of things from a human perspective that we want in our churches, we want our churches to be full of children and young people. We want our churches to run programs and organizations that will benefit our children and young people. We want church services to be relevant and modern. And all of those things are very good and very important. But when it comes to thinking about what a flourishing church looks like, the Bible takes us in a different direction. Last time we were in this letter, we looked at Paul's very personal remarks to Timothy in chapter 4. We didn't really touch on what it was Paul told Timothy to do. Now, much of what he says applies directly to ministers and pastors. We saw that, Tim, we, saw that we are to keep a close, close watch on what we believe, keep a close watch on how we live, and also keep a close watch for the Saviour. But to touch on Paul's remarks to Timothy, Timothy briefly, though, but Paul tells Timothy to set the gospel before his church family. As you'll see in 1 Timothy 4.13, he is to devote himself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Those later words are a clear reference to preaching. T -t Timothy is to preach faithfully and in preaching faithfully Sunday by Sunday, Timothy will be a good servant of Christ Jesus and under God will see his congregation flourish. The preaching and teaching in any congregation is of vital importance. Paul lays that out very clearly in chapter four. 
But now in chapter 5, he talks about other things that should mark congregations. As we read this chapter earlier, you maybe thought, well, this seems very distant. What on earth are we going to be thinking about this morning? Well, in this chapter, we see that Paul's heart is that the church family at Ephesus would, would thrive. And in this section, he points to four things that are essential for a church to flourish. We're going to see that a flourishing church treasures relationships, cares for the needy, honors leaders and keeps them accountable, and makes the gospel more attractive. That's where we're going this morning, those four points. We're going to take each of them in turn. They won't be long points, but they'll be helpful for us as we think about what we want our church family to be like. First of all, then, a flourishing church treasures relationships. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. In two simple verses, Paul tells Timothy how he is to relate to everyone in his congregation. Do you see the four categories that he mentions? Older men, first of all. Timothy is to relate to older men as though they are his fathers. Uh, Younger men then, Timothy is to relate to them as though they are his equals. He's not to think that because he's the minister, he ought to be treated differently or or looked at differently or or spoken to in a different way. Older women, Timothy is to relate to older women as though they are his mothers. And in doing so, it seems that Paul was saying that older women are are a great source of encouragement. Back in Romans 16, verse 13, Paul says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Paul enjoyed the relationships that he's calling Timothy to, it seems. And then younger women. Younger women are to be related to as sisters in all purity. Timothy was to treat younger women in his congregation in the same way that he would treat his own flesh and blood sister. As the pastor of the church at Ephesus, Timothy was called to lead by example. But the point that is abundantly clear for us as we read these instructions is that we are to treasure relationships as well. We are to relate to each other in the way that Paul tells Timothy to relate to others. This morning, I very deliberately got you to say hello to the person sitting behind you or in front of you. And the reason we do that sometimes in church is because we want to treasure relationships with each other. We don't want to come into church stiff and not talk to anybody. We don't want to walk in and walk out and speak to no one. It's a very simple thing, but it it builds our connection with each other. We did the, the, the say hello thing shortly after we came out of COVID restrictions. The, the first morning that we did it is a morning that I'll always remember. After two years of restrictions, we were finally free and we, we welcomed each other and said hello again. And I looked down and all of you were chatting. Younger people were talking to older people. People were cooing over little babies. People were talking to others that they hadn't seen in a while. And that's what it's like to be a church family who, who treasure relationships. It was a beautiful moment because it reminded me, and I think you as well, that we really treasure each other here in Bucknow. We missed each other during COVID, we missed meeting normally, and we really treasure the friendships and connections that we have as a church family. You know, the gospel demands hard conversations about truth, but it also calls for valued relationships. If you read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, you will find that he related well to everyone. He treasured relationships. And that's what we'll do as well if we want to flourish as a church family. A flourishing church treasures relationships and a flourishing church 
cares for the needy. That, that, that's our second point this morning. The, 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 the reason this chapter seems so distant and hard to understand is because of the extended section on widows that runs from verse 3 to verse 16. Now, what are we to make of what Paul says here? Well, just like verses 1 and 2, there's a sense in which what he says was specific to the church at Ephesus. But we shouldn't discount what he says because the provision regarding the care of widows is deeply rooted in the Christian faith. In the Old Testament, widows were, are set apart for extraordinary care and honor. Now, this comes out of the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother. Honor was understood, in, to, understood to include providing financial support. And Jesus made that point to the Pharisees in Mark 7, 8 to 13. God himself was understood to defend widows too. Not long after the giving of the fifth commandment, we read, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. Deuteronomy also tells us that God executes judgment for the fatherless and the widow. Jesus' heart was with the widows as well. He raised the son of the widow of Nain in Luke 7, and he healed the, the, the widow's two mites in Luke 21. Uh, uh, under the force of Old Testament teaching and Jesus' example and words, the early church excelled in the care of widows. Acts 6 records how seven godly men were appointed to carry out the daily distribution of food to widows. And the apostle James made things very clear when he wrote this. He said, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, what seems to have been happening in Timothy's day was, the church, was that the church did so well in caring for widows that it over-applied over some instructions. Paul's instructions to Timothy are to straighten some matters out and to make sure that everyone is getting what they need and that no one is exploiting what is on offer. There are some good principles at play in these verses when it comes to caring for the needy. And these are things that our world has forgotten. Verse 4, you'll see, reminds us that we're to care for the elderly. Christian sons and daughters are responsible for the care of widows and of their helpless parents and grandparents. Today, despite all the resources that are available, Christian children are to care for their parents. Verse 14, you'll see, reminds us that being a mother is a very good and positive thing. Paul wants younger widows to marry and bear children and manage their households. Do you know, our world tells us so many lies. Society today devalues so much of what the Bible says and so much of, what the Bible, so much of the Bible's framework for family life. Being a mother is a very good and positive thing. Overall, verses 3 to 16 remind us that congregations are to care for the needy. That is to begin with those who belong to the congregation, but it's also to extend to others as well. A flourishing church truly cares for the needy. The third thing we see in this part of 1 Timothy is that a flourishing church honors leaders and keeps them accountable. Look at verse 17. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. These verses are a reference to the two types of elders in, in the church age. There are ruling elders and there are teaching elders. In talking about elders who rule well, Paul was talking about ruling elders who direct the affairs of the church. In talking about those who labor in preaching and teaching, 
Paul is referring to teaching elders, to ministers and pastors. What comes next is a list of five qualities that are needed by Christian leaders in their dealings with others. Let me just walk you through, the, walk you through these very quickly. But Paul wants elders to be appreciated. He makes reference to how teaching elders should be remunerated in verse 18. But he also talks about honour. He wants elders who rule well to receive the respect of others. Paul wants fairness. In verses 19 and 20, he talks about what we might call procedures for complaint. He's imagining a situation where a complaint is made to Timothy about an elder. And what he calls for is fairness. On the one hand, he says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. But on the other hand, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In other words, a public sin brings a public rebuke. Elders are to be an example to the flock. Paul also wants impartiality, as you'll see in verse 21. No favoritism should be shown. As well as that, he wants caution in Christian leaders, verses 22 and 23. It's a common thing for us to make hasty decisions, to be, to be hasty when we should have been cautious. It's better to take time to form judgments and, and make decisions that we won't live, live to regret. And then the fifth quality he wants is discernment. You'll see that in verses 24 and 25. Paul wants Christian leaders to look beyond the outward appearance to the heart. Again, we're looking at verses that were specific to Timothy's situation, but it's good for us to see the broad principles. The role of an elder is a difficult one. It can be a challenging one. You should pray for the elders here in our church family. You should honor and respect them. Now, that's not to say that you treat them differently or that you shouldn't make fun of them at times. You can definitely do that. You've got my permission to do that. But you should also keep them accountable. They are to be an example to you. And when the things that we have talked about are modeled, the church will flourish and God's name will be protected from dishonor. So a flourishing church treasures relationship, re relationships, cares for the needy, honors leaders and keeps them accountable. And then finally makes the gospel more attractive. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2. It says, let all who are under a yoke as bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. But Paul now addresses slaves in, in 6, 1 and 2. He has addressed Timothy, widows, elders, and now slaves. And this part may seem the most distant of all, because... We know that slavery has been abolished, but we need, we, need, we need to remember the first century context. It has been estimated that there were between 50 and 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, and that as many as one third of the population of Ephesus were slaves. It's in that context that Paul tells Christian slaves to work hard so that the name of God and, and the teaching, the gospel, may not be reviled. Having done that, Paul then goes on to call Christians who have slaves to treat them fairly and show them respect. Now, where does this land for us as believers in the 21st century? Well, it has a direct application for us as we go into our workplaces. If we work for someone or for a company, we are to work in such a way that honors the Lord and shows that we're different. If we own a company and have people working for us, 
we are to treat our employees well. The gospel is to be made more attractive in the church and in the workplace. Throughout our time thinking about this passage, we've been drawing out the broad principle rather than focusing on the intricate details. And the broad principle for us as we think about making the gospel more attractive is that we are to live in a way that serves others. What Paul says here about how slaves and masters are to live makes that clear. A flourishing church will be made up of people who are living the gospel out, both on a Sunday and also during the week. And the effect of living it out throughout the week will be that others are attracted and drawn in. We've been thinking about that a lot recently, but this is going to become more and more important in the middle of a secular culture. Working harder because you're a Christian will make you stand out. Treating your employees better will make you stand out as a Christian as well. We are to live in a way that serves others. And we're to do that as Christians because that's what our Savior did. Listen to Jesus' words in Mark 10. He said, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the one on whom the whole gospel is focused, lived and died in the service of others. He lived and died so that we might be welcomed into his household, the church. It would be very easy for us to come up with a list of things from a human perspective that we want in our church. We want our church to be full of children and young people. We want our church to run programs and organizations that will benefit our children and young people. We want church services to be relevant and modern. All of those things are very good and very important. But when it comes to thinking about what a flourishing church looks like, the Bible takes us in a different direction. First Timothy 5 takes us in a different direction. For Jesus' church here in Bucknaw to flourish, we will need to treasure relationships, care for the needy, honor leaders and keep them accountable, and make the gospel more attractive. Now, just like last week, this sermon has probably been more for those of us who know and love the Lord Jesus. It has reminded me, though, that you can come to church and attend church, but not really be part of the church, not be part of the group of people who have been rescued and saved by the Lord Jesus. What this passage says to you, if you're not a Christian, is that the church is God's way of reaching out to you. To adapt one of our points, the church is is God's way of caring for you as a needy sinner. Because as you come to church, what, what is happening? You hear the gospel. You hear the bad news about your sin. You hear the good news about how Jesus can deal with it. And you hear the call to turn to him in faith. The church has been instituted and created by God so that people who are living in rebellion to him might come to know him. A lot of the time the church doesn't get things right and and makes a bit of a mess of things. But you should know that Bukna Presbyterian Church is here so that you might come to know Jesus. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, let me challenge you this morning to think about turning to him, to think about trusting him. We really treasure the fact that you're here today. We love that you're here in church. And we really care about where you will spend eternity. It breaks our hearts that you don't know Jesus and that are hurtling towards an eternity separated from him. You need to turn to him before it's too late. In closing, for those of us who know and love the Lord Jesus, we really need to think these things through. We're now very seriously talking about work beginning on our new meeting house. 
and it will be brilliant to get started. But starting and eventually moving up the road won't simply turn us into a flourishing church. We've got to work on the things that we've talked about this morning. We've got to realize that to be a flourishing church, we should treasure relationships, care for the needy, honor leaders and keep them accountable, and make the gospel more attractive. I want to finish this sermon in a slightly different way this morning. I want to use, a, use part of a prayer that John Stott shares in his book, The Living Church. It's a prayer called, I Have a Dream of a Living Church. It's very loosely based on the famous speech given by Martin Luther King. It's the deepest desire of many of our hearts that our church family here in Bucknell would flourish. That as Christians, we would grow in our faith, that we would sow the Bible in our hearts, and that we would go out into all the world with the gospel. This prayer is going to focus our hearts and minds on that desire and lead us to think what that might look like for us. What it might look like for us to treasure relationships, care for the needy, honour leaders and keep them accountable and make the gospel more attractive. So let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us flourish as a church family. I have a dream of a church which is a biblical church, which is loyal in every particular to the revelation of God in Scripture, whose people love the Word of God and adorn it with an obedient and Christ-like life. I have a dream of a biblical church. I have a dream of a church which is a worshipping church, whose people come together to meet God and worship Him, who know God is always in their midst, and who bow regularly before him in great humility, who enrich the worship with their musical skills, who believe in prayer and lay hold of God in prayer, whose worship is expressed not in Sunday services and prayer gatherings only, but also in their homes, their weekday work, and the common things of life. I have a dream of a worshiping church. I have a dream of a, of a church which is a caring church, whose fellowship is warm and welcoming and never marred by anger, selfishness, or jealousy or pride, which offers friendship to the lonely, support to the weak, and acceptance to those who are despised and rejected by society, whose love spills over into the world outside, attractive and infectious, irresistible, the love of God himself. I have a dream of a caring church. I have a dream of a church which is a serving church, which has seen Christ as the servant and has heard his call to be a servant too, whose members obey Christ's command to live in the world, to permeate secular society, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, whose people share the good news of Jesus simply, naturally, and enthusiastically with their friends, which is alert to the changing needs of society sensitive and flexible enough to keep adapting its programs to serve more usefully. I have a dream of a serving church. I have a dream of a church which is an expectant church, whose members can never settle down in material affluence or comfort because they remember that they are strangers and pilgrims on earth, which is all the more faithful and active because it is waiting and looking for its Lord to return which keeps the flame of the Christian hope burning in a dark, despairing world. 
I have a dream of an expectant church. Lord, help us to flourish as a church family here in Bucknow. Help us to treasure relationships with each other. Help us to care for the needy. Help us to honor leaders and keep them accountable. And help us to make the gospel more attractive. Help us in every way for Jesus' sake. Amen.